What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm your host, Will Brinson. Daily NFL show on CBS Sports. Tantalizing daily NFL show. Uh, wouldn't you know it, record a podcast on a Thursday afternoon. And, of course, news breaks on Thursday evening. Uh, shortly after, I hopped on the phone with Dave Damashek. You will hear from him in one second. Shek uh, works for NFL Media, NFL Network, NFL.com. Um, has a great podcast. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jameis Winston reportedly going to be suspended. Not the type of news we can just gloss over if we're going to be a daily podcast. So let's run through it. According to ESPN and NFL Media, the NFL is planning to suspend Jameis Winston for the first three games of the season for violating the league's personal conduct policy. The Buccaneers quarterback... Um, has been under investigation by the NFL for the past seven months over an incident that allegedly occurred with an Uber driver more than two years ago. Back in uh, March of 2016, while going through a drive-thru of a Mexican restaurant in Scottsdale, Arizona, Winston, uh, the Uber driver, alleged that Winston grabbed her crotch and held his hand there. Winston has denied the accusations. I believe the driver is confused as to the number of passengers in the car and who was sitting next to her. Winston said back in November, the accusation is false. And given the nature of the allegation, increased awareness and consideration of these types of matters, I am addressing this false report immediately. Uh, Ronald Darby, who played with Winston at Florida State, has come to his defense. But as pointed out by Pro Football Talk and noted by our own John Breach in the, st- in the story he wrote about it, um, Winston could be in violation by not alerting to the in- alerting the NFL about the allegations in a timely manner. In other words, if he knew that these allegations would come forward and if the, he knew the Buccaneers would allege, you know, if he and the Buccaneers knew that the allegations were going to happen against him and he didn't tell the NFL, he could get in trouble for it. Here's the personal conduct policy reading. Clubs and players are obligated to promptly report any matter that comes to their attention through, for example, victim or witness reports, law enforcement or media reports that may constitute a violation of this policy. Clubs are expected to educate their employees on this obligation to report. Clubs reports should be made to NFL security. Failure to report an incident will be grounds for disciplinary action. So in other words, it's possible that the NFL has more evidence. It's also possible that the NFL is suspending Jameis for failure to report. It's kind of dizzying. The long and short of it is it sounds like Jameis Winston will miss potentially as many as three games this year. The good news, I guess, if you want to find a silver lining, is that the Buccaneers have three tough games. They get the Saints on the road, the Eagles at home, and the Steelers at home. Those games they could lose anyway, even if Jameis were playing. It would be very difficult for them to win uh, with him there, you know, with him suspended, excuse me, clearly. Ryan Fitzpatrick will fill in for Jameis if he does miss those three games. And also of note, they will then play the Bears in Chicago in Week 4 and have their Week 5 bye shortly thereafter, which means that Dirk Cutter, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I mentioned he's a guy who could potentially be, uh, you know, candidate to be the first coach fired in 2018. He could be in a bit of trouble if they start out slow. Maybe he gets a pass because Winston isn't there, but you know, look, this is not good for the Buccaneers who are in a pressure situation heading into 2018. It is going to make an already tough schedule even tougher. But the good news is maybe it doesn't hurt their playoff chances quite as much because those games are so tough. We will have more on this as it develops. Um, unlikely that the, the actual suspension is issued on Friday, 
probably coming in the coming in maybe next week or the week after. But certainly it looks like Jameis Winston going to be facing some discipline. All right, let's get to Shaq because it is Friday. June 22nd, my brother's birthday. How exciting. Happy birthday, Charlie Brinson. I know you're not listening. You could do at least do me the favor of downloading the podcast, subscribing on iTunes, just like the rest of you could do the same. And while you're in iTunes, you should make sure and go and subscribe to the multiple podcast of our guest who is joining us now, the one, the only Dave Damashek of NFL.com, NFL Network, NFL Media, and the Dave Damashek Football Program, and... Two Daves of Thunder. What's going on, man? Hey, what's happening, Brinson? This is uh, an uncomfortable way to open things up. I just got a note from uh, Charlie Brinson saying that for his birthday, <laughs> if I could get, if he could get a shout out on the on the uh, Damashek show, that would be his greatest gift ever. So, anyway, let's not let's not worry about that. Let's just kibitz, you know. Yeah, I think I think we just move on. I will. I mean, you know, my dad listens to the program. He, uh, I, I joked on Father's Day that he he has moved on. It is adulthood to simply retweeting me and subscribing to my podcast, which is really nice. Like he doesn't have to do that. And, uh, but I don't think my brother does the same thing. It's a little disappointing. That's okay. He's a soccer guy. He likes the world cup. Um, it's nice to at least throw you the bone and subscribe though. And yes, I disagree. Your parents, I, maybe that's the weird world in which I grew up, but I, the first job I ever had out here, I wrote for a couple of months on, if you'll remember battle bots, the robots that fight each other um they don't like each other you see and so it leads to malice inside the octagon where all hashes settled um i used to write on it when i first uh, got out here like i say and um my mother would watch the entire episode and uh, just for the credits and then would uh, applaud when my name rolled by in the credits that's how weird it was it uh, uh, you know for me so but I she, think it's right that your old man's retweeting you. Absolutely. I, no, 100%. I think family should support family. And, uh, Charlie, you, the, the, the chickens will come home to roost for you, my friend. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. Uh, the chickens might come home to roost for, we're going to talk Steelers, by the way. And do you want to, do you want to promo? But, uh, so I have not, um, I've listened to two days of thunder. Who, yeah. What, it's good stuff. Is this, is, this is outside of the umbrella of your typical NFL media, um, uh, scope, right? I mean, this is more so in the realm of, of your work with Corolla, right? Yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, an old friend of mine, uh, you know, for, uh, since I got out to LA, um, he and I hit it off and, uh, and fell very much in love. And so now we, after a seven year hiatus, have come back with the show and are back to doing our vain, stupid nonsense, uh, you know, basically celebrating ourselves. And it's been quite fun and the feedback has been great. Dave's of Thunder. Available on Apple Podcasts and on Podcast One. Is it possible? Is it is it, is there a chance that you guys just do the show because the name is so great? I mean, that is a great podcast name. That well, that was the first endeavor on the show was coming up with a good name for it. We we uh, we thought long and hard about the Dave Damashek Vanity Project, but uh, ultimately <laughs> opted for uh, Dave's of Thunder. Dave's of Thunder is a very good name. Uh, let's talk Steelers because the Steelers are. Very good, or should be very good again. They came up just short last year, of course, um, losing to the, the Jaguars in the playoffs, a, a brutal loss. I think everybody could agree that the season may very well have turned on that Patriots game, but there's a lot of similarities similarities to this team offensively in terms of personnel. Uh, they've changed offensive coordinators. Todd Haley is out, but just like last year, Sheck, 
Le'Veon Bell is coming in on a one-year franchise tag that he has not yet signed. I am of the opinion that he's going to show up on August 26th or thereabouts. He's going to sign the tag after the third preseason game. He's going to get about 350 carries from the Steelers. They're going to tip their cap, shake his hand, and say, thanks for the time, Le'Veon. Enjoy, you know, hope you're healthy. Enjoy free agency. And I kind of think it's the right thing to do. Am I wrong? I think you're 100% right with what you forecasted about how this is going to go down. The one thing that might shake that up, I would think, is if the Steelers do, in fact, finish with a Lombardi. I think out of goodwill and a message of going forward and everything else that I could see them saying, we're not going to shake this up now. What it, What do you need, Levy and Bell? And they could uh, dive even deeper into the um, star-laden uh, assemblage of, you know, really have – the vast majority of their loot, which it's going to be anyway this year, tied up in three guys, namely the the greatest triplets that the NFL has seen since uh, Irvin Emmett and Troy Aikman. Um, and it's weird with all that star power, as you you refer to last January and um, and then early December, uh, the Jesse James game. Uh, you know that, that still plagued me. We just went through. At the NFL, they just uh, got all the uh, all the big stars from NFL media and Dave Damashek together in one place. Um, and uh, Al Riveron was in, and he broke down all the rules, all the new rules changes. And by the way, as a side note, I suspect here's Damashek's big prediction for the overall of 2018. I think scoring is going to go up significantly this Ooh. year. I bet you it goes up by three to five points overall this year because have you really – dug in on the new kickoff rule. The fact that those guys aren't getting a running start, that they have to take off from a standing position, basically, at the 35, even though you're not allowed to touch them, so that will allow them to accelerate a little bit more than they than they have been in the past. I My guess is, and in fact, that rule, it's interesting that the rule is only a one-year rule, that they have to test it out, because I think they know that if they said this is it for – uh, for the indefinite future, they might be more pigeonholed into sticking with it. But I think the average starting position for, for the receiving team is going to move up by five or 10 yards. So you can do the math on how that might boost scoring overall. But I think they're going to be more returns. I think they're going to be, you know, two guys housing it. But before that, I think a good return man is going to be even more valuable. I think teams are going to be starting the ball standardly at the 35-40 midfield a lot more than we've ever seen before. It's going to be interesting, but um, as we sat there and went over the rules, I, I, I'd be jiving if I said I still didn't get viscerally sick watching the Jesse James play again. And then them sh- Al Riveron's like, now here's the Zach Ertz Super Bowl touchdown. <laughs> really side-by-side. Side. Those are the same play. They're the exact same thing. Both called touchdowns on the field. Why was the one overturned and the other one wasn't? Well, Makes me very upset. Well, I'll tell you why, because – Roger Goodell had an electric cattle prod hooked up to the uh, the referees in the Super Bowl. It's like, don't make this product boring or controversial. Um, oh, Princeton, you and your conspiracy theories. But, yeah, the bottom line is for 2017, as we look ahead to this year, they're so loaded with talent. It was a disappointing, obviously, getting whipped by the Jags in Heinz Field and everything else. I'm left with this sort of dissatisfying feeling, and maybe I'm a prisoner of past success for the team that I root for, but doesn't it feel like 13-3 and for that Steelers team? Didn't it feel like it was not a good season, even before the playoffs even started? Wasn't it a 13-3? and Like, huh, 
I thought this team was a little bit better than they were. No, I agree with you. And I think, you know why I think that happened is because the first half of the season, or maybe even a little bit more, the defense carried the team. And then Shazier goes down, and we'll get to him in a second. But at that point, Roethlisberger in the offense, and I had Bill Cower on this very podcast during the season, oh. and he, not to name drop or anything, but he said, He's late. Co- colleague of mine, Bill Cower, um, he, uh, you know, he said that he thought Ben and the offense would, right when that happened, he thought Ben and the offense would take the mantle and run with it. And they did that. They looked inspired. They played much better down the stretch. They were fantastic on offense, but the defense couldn't keep up. And so you never felt, at least this is how I felt, Check, you never felt like you got the full product from the Steelers in 2017. You always felt like what part of it was missing. And for a 13 and three team, that, that's, you know, that kind of leaves you a little, little, uh, little empty in the, in the, in the deepest pits of your heart. Yeah, and obviously the X factor, and you've known that for the last couple of years, is uh, on the defense is Ryan Shazier because he's just such a distinct athlete. You know, the, how many guys it, since since either of us has been watching uh, football has that kind of speed in the you know uh, you know I guess uh, Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis at the height of their powers, but I mean there's a, that that ability to drop in that. Uh, um, uh, Tomlin as they, as they move more toward, towards something that looks like, uh, the Tampa two, that was, that was everything. And when all of a sudden 50 was taken out of the mix there, they really did go to pot. And by the way, Joe Hayden was, uh, was not a, a uh, insignificant absence as well coming down the stretch there. But either way, yeah, just had a feel, even when they were, you know, even if they did hang 35 on, it seems like that offense week after week, should be, you know, in, in a league that saw Tom Brady throwing the ball to whoever he was throwing the ball to week after week, that that, that, that offense was basically unstoppable and a number of other offenses as well. That given that that's the climate in the league, that this offense with Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio, I'm all the, I don't have to run through them for you. You know who they are. <laughs> with a, with one of, by the way, the other thing is too, that in the middle of, of Roethlisberger's prime, the thing that's forgotten, much like Aaron Rodgers in his prime, were, were they, those guys were able to thrive behind subpar offensive lines and, in fact, win Super Bowls behind subpar offensive lines, something I don't think Peyton Manning um, and a number of other high-end QBs could probably do. But the, the, the undercovered story of the Steelers is since Mike Munchak's gotten there, that is a that is one of the you know four or five best O-lines in the league. They have everything – lined up in their favor and yet it was weird even you know I know the standards awfully high when, when when you expect them to score why would anybody ever stop them on any possession but it they would go full halves without being able to score against mediocre teams it was inexplicable to me yeah like with five interceptions against the the Jaguars at home and in the regular season by the way in that Sha- the Shazier thing I was able to bring this up really quickly. I think that is pretty fascinating. If you count the playoffs, uh, but the first 12 weeks of the season, the Steelers gave up 265.3 yards per game, 16.1 points per game after including the Bengals game, which in Shazier got hurt on Monday night and including the playoff loss to the Jags, the Steelers gave up 350.8 yards per game and 27.6 points per game. That is a stark, stark difference. I, I wonder, Shaq, how do you think? 
Ryan Wilson has posited on this podcast before that he believes it'll be a com- by committee approach to try and bring guys into safeties and linebackers and, and shift guys around to try and fill the void. A, do you think they can fill the void? And, and B, do you think it'll be something like that as they try and replace Shazier, who clearly is not playing, has already been placed? Yeah, he's, he's one of, yeah, I mean, and he is that guy because he's, uh, a dis- like we say, just such a distinct athlete. You, you wouldn't be able to just replicate what he was doing on that defense. I, I agree with you is the, is the bottom line. Yes, they will try several people um, to try and fill that void. I think, you know, as the rest of the league does too, I think you'll see more defensive backs. You always keep hearing about the hybrid guys that the Cardinals maybe are responsible for bringing into the league a little bit. I think they'll try something like that. You look at what they did in the draft. Um, I guess that's uh, that's possible. I do think that the secondary will be much improved from where it was last year. It really was bad. Mike Mitchell had a an especially crummy season for them. I think uh, hopefully Morgan Burnett, as long as he's out there, shores things up a little bit. Sean Davis back there at this point in his career, hopefully um, does the same. Um, but it's also befuddling to me that, you know, you watch a team and it's hard to compare any of the other 31 teams to what the Patriots do. It's weird that you can take, I always talk about, I think you and I have talked about it before, that I have the Jenga theory in the NFL. In the 21st century, it's not a matter of if you're going to lose guys over the course of the season. It's a matter of who it's going to be. And if you remove the wrong piece from the Jenga puzzle, the whole thing will collapse. Clearly, that's what happened with the Steelers last year when you took Shazier out of the mix. But on the other hand, I also don't want to give them the break of saying, well, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, outside of your quarterback, obviously most teams would implode, say, not uh, the, the, the world champions notwithstanding. I think most teams, you know, are scuttled their hopes of hoisting the Lombardi. But if you, a, a position guy, you can't. You, the, the whole the, the premise of the team can't be that if well, if we lose that guy the season. No, that's <laughs> not the way. The mindset can be, especially with as much star power as the Steelers bring to the table, even without Shazier. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that it does seem as though that, to, to your point, yes, the quantity is the, is the, the way they're attempting to address this rather than one quality linebacker, you know, trying to go get somebody in the first round in the draft. Uh, with that in mind, Understanding they're going to have Le'Veon Bell, understanding they're not going to have Ryan Shazier, understanding they've got a, I think a, I would, I would say it's 10 times harder than last year in terms of the schedule that they're dealing with. And we're doing June schedule analysis, which is always, uh, you know, auspicious at best. What is your over or what more? You can't do over under more or less 10 and a half wins for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2018. I could definitely see this. And by the way, You've come to the right place. I don't know if you're aware of this place, I, and I, I don't am. know why they're. I am. Where's my parade already? I want a parade. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's in Pittsburgh or in a ticker tape in New York City, or if it's in our nation's capital, or maybe we just stop down for like 15 minutes nationwide and celebrate Damashek. But for six straight seasons, I have correctly predicted what the Pittsburgh Steelers' final record is going to be. I think this year, I definitely could see. With all the stuff that's going on right now already, all the weird acrimony or melodrama at least, I could see them falling back a little bit. I do think, as of now, who knows what it'll be. I might go up, I might go. I think that 11 wins is, is 
kind of bouncing around in my head right now after having looked at the schedule, seeing where the other three teams in the division are. I think it's interesting to consider this. Week one in Cleveland, Ooh. same place as they started 2017. They really should have lost that game if you go back and look at that. I mean, that's going to be a fascinating game. Can you think of a more interesting week one game than than where these two teams are and the expectations for Hugh and, or the, you know, the has there ever been a more overhauled roster in one offseason than the Cleveland Browns and upgraded at that? That's a fascinating game, and how that one comes out could tell us a lot. The Cleveland Browns are, according to the people who, well, you know, I don't, I can say it. You, you, nobody, nobody's going to listen at this point. None of your bosses are checking on this. The Browns are the biggest Week One underdogs on the board right now, plus six points at home, which is a lot to me. I, I mean, I like the Steelers. To probably keep, I like, I think the Browns will keep it close in this game. And I think the Steelers will probably find a way to win. We're going to learn a lot about A, Tyrod Taylor and B, Hugh Jackson, whether, uh, bringing, this is a Todd Haley revenge game, whether or not like bringing in Todd Haley, taking all that off of his plate is enough to make him, uh, stop him from making these horrific in-game decisions that probably cost them three wins last year. I, I like the Browns. I agree with that. I like the Browns to keep it close. And, and the Steelers, as you well know, and, and by the way, Let's let, let, let let's actually take a second and point out that you the, you know bragging about get and it's not even bragging because it's just pointing it out six straight years of nailing it on the head with the exact mm-hmm. record is impossible to do. I mean that, that's that's that is insanity, and I think anyone who. You know, hypothetically, anyone, I'm not sure, I'm sure there might be jealous, uh, parties in your office. Anyone who accuses you of, of, of trumpeting it too much has lost their mind. This is something that should be trumpeted. There should be a parade. There should be glitter sprayed about the podcast studio in Culver City. Well, that City. happened. But, but <laughs> the, the, um, yeah, I, I think you're referring to, uh, to, uh, your pal, Greg Rosenthal. Uh, they, ah, I don't know. What's so great about doing that? <laughs> That's so great. My Patriots still won. I still, they still went to the Super Bowl. Um, the, uh, yes, I think that was a, a remarkable deed. But yeah, then, the, but beyond Hugh and Todd Haley and Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield and all of that, you just don't see it. There's no historical evidence that the, that the Cleveland Browns are ready to make a playoff run here. Um, are they going to swing from zero to 10 or nine wins? That seems highly unlikely, no matter how much you like that roster. And the other thing too is that nobody seems to be, people don't talk about it too much, but at this point, yes, you might like all the pieces, uh, how that puzzle now suddenly looks, but Hugh Jackson's still the coach. And you talk about evidence. What evidence is there that he's ready? To guide a team to the postseason. This, that everybody's gotten so over their skis because he had a couple of good offenses in the last decade. One in Oakland, one in uh, Cincinnati for that one golden year for three quarters of a golden season. Um, I don't know. I buy that. I do fear the Ravens. I do think that they did the unsexy thing that matters most in the 21st century NFL, which is to say, they fixed up both lines of scrimmage this offseason. They're now back to where they were. That's the premise of how, why they're relevant year after year, is that Ozzy always had them set up on both uh, sides of the line of scrimmage. That kind of went away over the last couple, but it does look like they've sufficiently addressed that. And then the Bengals, they're interesting. But, I, I, I mean, you know, are, are they decent? Yes. Are they a world beater? Not as long as Andy's their QB. Andy? So 
all that amounts to that's that's the biggest factor. But so before you go outside the division or anything else, how do they stack up in the division? And they still have the best quarterback in the division by far and away. Um, you know, I, I I really have a hard time conjuring how they don't end up winning the division. I'm with you, and I think that nine and seven, or even ten and uh, ten and six, would actually give them a pretty good chance at winning that division. If maybe, yeah, unless the Bengals and Ravens, and I think I believe, and I I should have this in front of me because we're doing a Steelers centric podcast, but I, I think that all the teams in the AFC North play the NFC South, and then another tough, maybe the AFC West. So it's like it is a very tough schedule for everybody yeah. involved there. Which means that, look, I mean, it's easy to, you're right. It's June. We're hyped about the Browns. All these changes are fantastic. They could come out and go, uh, like one and 15 again. Cause Hugh, Hugh is nine and 39 career as a coach. That's not great, Dave. It, I mean, yes, this is, this is not, this isn't a small sample size right. at this point. The, the evidence has, has been delivered. <laughs> what are we doing here? I really, in a season in which, the the Browns make this major overhaul. Why? And that's the time that they should have really done it, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know why they didn't make that move. I uh, I suspect that we'll see that, um, you know, in in fewer than 12 months. Not to say that I am rooting for anyone to ever lose their job. Of course not. Um, but yeah, and, and and you know, I also feel like uh, as we talk about the Browns, I feel like that. Doesn't it just feel weird that you knew that they had two of the top four picks? Doesn't it feel vaguely unsatisfying what they got for it? Yes. A, a, a roll of the dice at QB. And I've talked to a lot of people who definitely know what they're talking about. The Probably the most prominent. Here's a name drop. I was talking to Joel Klatt at the mm. draft. And I said, I, I just, I, you know, Baker Mayfield, first overall. If you go, you know, maybe if you go Saquon or you go Chubb, you go with your boy there, that would have made all that. Because if you go Chubb, uh, I, I think suddenly they, you know, they are with, alongside a Garrett. You can suddenly oh, be a really dangerous defense, no matter what else. You know, you can heat up the other team like that. It, it will be a, a, an interesting season. Instead, and, and maybe Mayfield – by the way, if you look at it, Mayfield very well may have reached them. And if not, there would have been another high-end quarterback there for them to grab. Um, or if they had taken Barkley, whatever. It just feels like they got to roll the dice at Q. Oh, so anyway, Joel Klatt told me. I said, I just don't know about uh, Mayfield. He said, I've seen him succeed too many times to to doubt that he's going to make it in the NFL. Okay. I like Josh Rosen better, as a matter of fact. And I like Sam Darnold better, too. And by the way, the wild card, Lamar Jackson, um, might end up being, uh, might end up being the most dangerous. But, um, anyway, I mean, and a, a slightly built corner, that's what you got to roll the dice at QB and a slightly built corner. That's, well, how many times are you ever going to have first, the two of the top four picks? That was your haul. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm with you. And I was, when they went Mayfield, I liked Mayfield a lot. And I like Mayfield a lot. Um, I do have a little bit of concern that he's probably going to sit behind Tyrod Taylor, which means that he's already 23, which means you're really going to get him for his first year at age 24. And like, yeah. he's still young, but that's all. I mean, Sam Darnold's 20, Shaq. I mean, that, that, it's big. It's four years. It's a big difference in the NFL. And I was ready to crown them when they were up on the clock on four. Having gotten Mayfield, who I like, and we're about to pick my boy Bradley Chubb and pair him with Miles Garrett and have Emmanuel Agba rotating off, and then they went Denzel Ward, and he might be great, but I know Chubb is going to be very good. I mean, I know that with my, I like you, 
you can't tell me he will be a bust. And so I, I was, I was highly disappointed. I'm with you. It, it, it feels vaguely unsatisfying what they pulled off with those two high picks, especially when, and I'm not comparing Mayfield to Mansell, but remember the last time they had two first round picks and they got the, the crazy, you know, rogue quarterback and the best corner in the draft. I mean, it didn't work out well for him. Um, That's, it, it is fascinating. And by the way, people keep saying, well, you, you, you can't hold the new regime to the, to the Cleveland Browns past standard. Oh, yes, I can. Oh, but what, I can't. we live in a vacuum? <laughs> what do we, they, well, like, what's not hit? I, I, the analogy I make is like, listen, if I order a pizza, um, and, uh, the delivery man brings it and it doesn't have the right toppings on it, I can't, I, I the, the delivery man, I get, I didn't ask for mushroom. I asked for sausage, like, don't blame me, man. He can't just turn and walk away. Like, yeah, I can. You're, you're, you are the point person for this franchise. What do you want me to tell you? I, I'm sorry if that feels unfair to you, but yeah, yeah, Dorsey, wear it, man. This is your team. You have to make the safe picks here. You should have gone Darnold or gone Chubb. What, what they did just was not right. I will say that Chubb is, uh, was a charismatic and, uh, likable guy. I, so he was easy to root for in the couple of minutes I got the kibitz with him, um, down in Dallas. He seems like a likable guy, but, uh, yeah, I, I so I don't know what's going to be with the Browns, at least in the short term. Um, and the, the other thing that stands out for me when you say Baker Mayfield, you know, a little with the Manziel thing and everything else, the year I always refer to is, the cautionary tale that is the 2011 draft. Mm. Look at the first, I forget if it's the first 11 or 12 picks. It's 11. I think it's the first, I think it's the first 11 picks. Seven of those guys are bound for the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's like had Patrick Pete in it. It starts with, uh, starts with, uh, Cam Newton. But after Cam, the QBs that go include Blaine Gabbert, um, Jake Locker, uh, Christian Ponder. Christian Ponder. Yes, they're bust. The point is, the cautionary tale is, do not reach for a quarterback just because you need a quarterback. That doesn't mean because you need it that he's there waiting for you to be the franchise QB and because you have a high first-round pick. And yet, year after year after year, even with that evidence now in, teams keep on doing this junk. Josh Allen? That yeah, You fall all over yourself because mm. you got to have. You know he's going to work out. Brad Baker Mayfield. Oh, well, that, that, yes, we know that there is a generational pass rusher and Bradley Chubb out there. Yeah, but Baker, we can't pass up. We need a QB. Yeah, Tyrod Taylor, you'll be fine. If you had a dominant defense, which is what they would have at least in pass, in terms of pass rush and Tyrod Taylor with the weapons that he's going to have around him, this would be a team that would be, you know, a scary team to go up against week after week. Now it feels like I wouldn't be surprised though if you see here, my wild one is maybe Tyrod Taylor gets moved to Jacksonville or something like that mm. before the season if they like Mayfield enough. I could you see? see I could also see this is a crazier one. I could see them moving Flacco out of Baltimore. I just don't know where who takes Flacco at this point, but um, who want, who's des- who's so desperate for a QB? But who knows what injuries emerge in August that require teams to try and fill a QB spot? I wouldn't be surprised if you see. 
like I say, the Ravens try to see if they can move on from Flacco and start the Lamar Jackson uh, air a little bit more quickly than we expect them to as we sit here before July 4th even arrives. That is an interesting idea. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if either, either of those guys, but you're right, tough trades would need an injury. Um, I have three fill-in-the-blank fill questions for you. The first is Steeler-centric. The All best right. offensive coordinator of the Big Ben era in Pittsburgh is blank. That's that's a tough one because yes, Ben is. Roethlisberger, like Michael Jordan – well, I don't want to say the Michael Jordan because then people will think <laughs> I'm conflating the two in, in terms of how they rank in their sports histories. Um, but as Michael Jordan transitioned from being a dynamic – uh, physical specimen into being a guy who was cagey and figured out how to hit the mid-range jumper. People completely forget that Ben Roethlisberger uh, was the precursor to Cam Newton. Yes. And Ben Roethlisberger, as a side note, I'm fascinated by where, as I mentioned, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, since, since you know, year four of his career, it seems like almost every year, that there's somebody he's the next Jordan this guy this guy's the next Jordan <laughs> yeah you would think that given that Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time I'm not having that debate with you now um even though maybe is LeBron but anyway I'm not I'm not here for that debate the point is you would think that if you're comparing him to the best ever wouldn't it be Tom Brady wouldn't the ne- this guy's the next Tom Brady instead every year has at least one kid coming out of school oh he's the next Ben Roethlisberger I think when it's all said and done as I say, Cam Newton's one of those guys who kind of was that. People forget Roethlisberger was a dangerous physical runner. Ran, he ran, he plowed people over in the open field. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't Mike Vicking guys. He was, but yeah, he was trucking guys. Yeah, um, yeah, you did not want to collide with him the same uh, as Cam Newton. And in the second half of his, of his career, Todd Haley, I, I know people in Pittsburgh don't want to hear about it. I give him a little bit of credit because the premise of his arrival was get the ball out of seven's hands. We cannot keep losing a month of service for our best player because he keeps getting injured. We have to get rid of the ball. I, I thought it was a specious idea because I thought that's not what he is. He's got to, you got to get a move in. And how do you, how do you design playground ball? If you're the, if you're the OC, just, you know, run around, man, just, you know, just run around until somebody, <laughs> until you throw it to somebody, you can't really, um, you know, uh, predict that kind of stuff uh, with X's and O's. But so I think Todd Haley did do a, a, a good job in places there, but I guess I got to give it to Bruce Arians. He got him over the hump with, uh, with, uh, San Antonio and company. Yeah, you couldn't, you, you made a very good case and I agree with you that Todd Haley probably had the most change to deal with, but you, you're right. You have to go with Arians. Otherwise you would be, uh, strung up and, uh, and, and, and attacked by Steelers fans. The blank. This is not – these next two are not – well, one might be Steeler-centric. This one is not. The blank had the best chance to be this year's Rams. Any NFL team? Hmm. I've been looking at that. I mean, the Texans don't count, but I think people are sleeping on them. I think the Falcons are this weird are, – are in this weird spot where everybody regards them as, wow, what a disappointing uh, little hangover they had all through last – after after 28-3. to three, Boy, it was kind of a, a dull season. Hey, they won double-digit games, and they would have beaten the Eagles in the playoff game if Julio caught that ball, and that was a down year for them. 
I really like Dan Quinn's defense. I think he has the pieces now back there largely that, or on that defense that he wants to have. They're built the way he wants. I think that Falcons team is is going to be scary this year. But I know that's that, – see, I'm dodging your question with that uh, because I, 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 I certainly don't want to say the Ravens. I think they could be kind of sneaky good. The team, uh, the team that the team that gets out, the team that gets thrown out there a lot, check is the Bears with their new uh, head coach yeah. and their quarterback with all the weapons and everything. I would actually posit that the team that people are really sleeping on in terms, and they actually grabbed the guy from the freaking Rams in terms of the OC and Matt Lafleur, the Tennessee Titans. Titans, I almost said Titans as an homage to uh, your your pal Dan Hansis, but the Tennessee Titans to me are a team that could explode offensively with Derrick Henry. Uh, Deion Lewis, Corey Davis on the outside, and then Marcus Mariota operating in a non, uh, you know, Mike Malarkey driven offense. That's an interesting one. Yeah. For the more direct uh, analogy from, you know, how the, uh, 2017 Rams were constituted. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting one. I, I just really think how far down maybe the Jags fall back a little bit. You know, I don't, I just yeah. don't know how long. In the NFL, I know that they, you know, everybody's still obsessed by the Miles Jack should have been a, a uh, touchdown in Foxborough. And of course, they would have won the game and gone on to the Super Bowl um, if that would have stood. But I mean, how long can you really hide your quarterback in the 21st century? How long can you get away with playing that? I don't care how dominant the defense is. It's not 1976. You get, you cannot just forever expect that. But, um, I think the I think the Texans are dangerous too though. I think the Texans bounce back big this year. Um so um I guess that would tamp down how good the Titans could potentially be. <laughs> the other the other um team that's kind of interesting that kind of is an X factor in terms of how good the other teams in their division are gonna be. Everybody is um at least out here on the West Coast. People are, 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 I feel, in lockstep on, on how good the Chargers should be. Indeed. The, the sad irony, the sad irony would be if this is the year that Phil Rivers finally just falls off the cliff. That would be, how, that would be sick. How I don't dare, mean literally, how dare you on this podcast, sir? <laughs> he's got, I, I know he's got mouths to feed. I, I don't mean he's literally <laughs> falling off of any cliffs, cliffs. Um, but, uh, I think that team, man, they, they might be, that might be the best roster in the AFC. Um, but the other one, I think their defense is going to let them down. But what I think is going to be really dynamic and, 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 uh, exciting and surprising to a, a large percentage of football fans, the KC Chiefs. Yes. I like, boy, oh boy, you have this electric arm kid with that, with, with just nothing but speed out there around them. Who's stopping that team? I, I'm with you, and I think the, I think the Chiefs' defense will actually be a little bit better than people expect. I also think Sammy Watkins is going to be a bounce back or just a bounce candidate. I don't know a if he's, bounce, yeah, right. a, just a regular bounce candidate. And I think Sammy Watkins has a nice year. I love Tyreek Hill. You're right. They, like with Andy Reid calling the plays, at least through the regular season. With Tyreek Hill, with Travis Kelsey, with Sammy Watkins, with Pat Mahomes. Now their schedule to open is absolutely brutal, but I, I'm with you. I like the Chiefs to, uh, to, people are too high on the Chargers. That makes me like the Chiefs even more. Can I go negative on you for a second? I'll play sure. the other side of the coin. I like identifying the teams because as we sit here in summertime, what's easy to do 
easier to do is to make a case, uh, an optimistic case for every team. That's the NFL, the Eagles, uh, you know, paved the way for the Rams and everybody. Why, why not us this year? Why can't it be us this year? And you look at after free agency and then the draft, you can get excited about any team you want to pretty much. What's hard to do is to identify the teams that absolutely positively definitely are not <laughs> going to be playing in January. I started that series on my show. We identified the first one I named, the New York Giants. They're because of that. Look up their first seven games. Tell me which ones they're winning out of that out of that slate. At best, they're two and five. There there will be boo birds in uh, in the Meadowlands on poor Eli. Maybe we didn't do that. Maybe that was the right thing to move on from Eli because when you go through, they start at home for the Tom Coughlin homecoming game. Do you think the Jags are going to show up and whip the Giants? That's a bad start for Eli right there, and it just stays bad for the next. I mean, that's half the season. That, that, by the time they get out of that seventh game, I think it's at the Falcons, maybe, or maybe the Falcons come to them. I forget how it how it goes. But anyway, yeah, I mean, they're, if they're better than two and five, then I will uh, eat crow. The the first eight games, just for posterity, Jaguars at home, their their defense is going to come out on fire against Eli. I don't care how you right how we work the offenses um, at Cowboys, which is not easy, of course, two division rivals. Then at the Texans, like you say, if the Texans bounce back, Saints at home, at the Panthers, Eagles at home, at the Falcons, Redskins at home. I mean that, and then your Week Nine bye. I mean it's half the season. Yeah, they might be they might be one and eight at that point. I, I am a big fan of, of of picking against the Giants over in this particular case. All right, I'm going to skip the the last. We we mentioned AFC teams. I was going to tell you ask you who the the biggest uh, problem for the Patriots could be in the AFC. But instead, I would rather ask you this. And this this may come across as borderline un-American, and I don't care, Sheck. Um, I'm bothered that we're going to spend a Wednesday celebrating the 4th of July. So like Father's Day, for instance, is always on the same Sunday in in June, right? Because it's on a Sunday and Mother's Day, always on the same Sunday in, in May. And I get that you can't just magically move the 4th of July around to fit the vices and the celebrations of America, but it's ridiculous that it's on a Wednesday at any point in time. People have to go to work on, on Thursday and people can't take off the weekend. They can't, they can't go anywhere for the 4th of July on the weekend. Is it time to blow up the entire holiday schedule as we know it? Hmm. You, you, boy, you know, I like tackling the big stuff, you know, the, the big societal changes, you know, my, my great work, I think, you know, about with uh, Rose, I, I, I announced that everybody needs to be drinking it five years later. Look around, all the hipsters are drinking it. And it's great stuff. I said, I said you know what? What, where, when you're eating food, why, what, outside of cutting a steak, what, where is a plate preferable to a bowl? Now more and more restaurants go in bowl. So these are the issues I tried because I, you know, the world's a great place. I'd like to leave it even better. I hear you. I think maybe the metaphor is sort of like if you're riding into a vacation midweek on your motorcycle for a little bit of fun, you know, you break out the cycle for fun. You need a sidecar. You need a backup to it. Like you can't just say Wednesday. How? What kind of twister am I going to go on as as night falls, as it gets dusky? I like, eh, I got to work tomorrow. Like, eh, it's not. This isn't much of a celebration of our nation, you know. Right. I think I think Thomas Jefferson would want us to have two days off for July Fourth. Yes, I am with you a hundred percent. 
What's your favorite pie to eat at July 4th? Ooh. Uh, well, I mean, I think the standard is, of course, an apple pie, which is a fantastic pie, very American. If I was picking, but but the problem is an apple pie is typically served warm, not great on July, especially no. in North Carolina. Humidity is rampant, ravaging the entire state right now. It's 100 degrees outside. I... Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with. You know what's good for that though, when it's when it's really humid and uh, and uh, ugly out there, nice cold rosé. You're right. Let all the fools. I just was at that big. I was at the thing with all the big time football players at the NFL thing, and afterwards they had a cocktail hour and everything. I don't. I unashamedly said I'll have a, a nice crisp rosé of you, please. And I was mocked. I don't mind telling you, I was mocked mm. by by other fellas who were too cool for school. And I said, you know who's the coolest of them all. The one drinking the nice crisp rosé, Mister Hipster. Yeah. You know what? I want, I'm going to send you a nice bottle of rosé. You and you should. And look, rosé is fantastic. And I am. I got a bottle of rosé downstairs in my fridge. Now I'm. I'm more of an IPA man myself. But it, okay. it, but you know what? The beer creates problems physically that the rosé does not, which is another reason to switch. Isn't that a thing? Isn't that a weird thing? You're a younger man than I, but isn't that a, a, a that has started to happen to me? Like. What is it? I, I, I drink two beers now and I feel like I got to go to bed. I'm <laughs> worn out. I feel like I've gained about 110 <laughs> pounds now. Like I, I, it's weird. And yet I resent this weird pushback by society against IPAs. Why, why are IPAs now somehow frowned upon as some uh, overrated uh, uh, beverage? Uh, for the same reason that – it, it IPAs have become too cool, too fashionable, and people need to move on to something else, um, and that just becomes a problem in general. Or do you do you have someone approaching you in the podcast studio? I do. I, I assume it's not it's not one of my children, though. That's what no. I you can you hear you can hear my child walking into the, the office. Yes, he has his <laughs> iPad with him too, which is the really annoying part because the whole don't call Uncle Charlie. Uncle Charlie deserves no calls for his birthday. <laughs> All right. Well, with that in mind, we're, we're up against the time limit anyway. They they want me to keep it at thirty minutes, but for you, Dave. Damashek, we go 40. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, follow Shek on, wait, on Twitter. Are you just at Damashek or is that Dave Damashek? Yeah, that's right. Just that's at, right. I got in early enough that I just got my surname. I know. I wish I'd if I had it to do over again, I would go Shek. Ooh, that would be good. Even better. Yeah, yeah. at Damashek on Twitter. Subscribe to the Dave Damashek Football Program and the Days of Thunder podcast on iTunes. Thanks as always, buddy. You're the top, Brinson. Go get them. <laughs>